Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. Welcome back to the 905er. This is our second part of our conversation on racism in our school system with Abisola Asa and Malik Scott of Students Speak Up YCDSB and Greg Dongren of Hamilton Students for Justice. If you missed the first part, please pause this and go back to listen to that episode in its entirety. If you have already done so, please continue with part two. As we rejoin the second part of the conversation, we're just in the middle of discussing the relatively new but now common practice of police officers being present in schools on an almost routine basis uh, for several days a week and the implications that has for students of colour as well as other students. The first speaker you'll hear is Greg Dongan of Hamilton Students for Justice. Cops are so frequently in schools conducting investigations, conducting or or what need be. Or Honestly, it doesn't even have to come down to conducting investigations. What it had felt like was while I was in school, you're looking like you're looking at like two days out of the week, there's cops in your schools. Yeah, it's just wrong. <laughs> you know, it's not healthy. I mean, it, it's so different. It's so for Joel and myself, it's such a change. And yet speaking to te- teachers that we know, this seems to be a routine thing now. And, and you know, to, 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 from my perspective anyway, to say that it's about uh, improving relationships between students and, uh, and the police seems to be highly, well, that doesn't seem to be the way it's working. Let's put it that way. Um, and from what you're saying, it's just kind of, introducing the adult world um to 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 children who were previously kind of language to me it doesn't make sense okay so the white kids in the school have bad relationships with the police i don't think so so it's really just the black and colored kids that they're trying to quote unquote fix but that relationship but while we're the only ones being persecuted in this particular way it really doesn't make sense they need to say what they truly want they want cops there two days a week to 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 put fear into these kids to make them behave it's an, there, I, I correct me if i'm wrong was there any like meetings where the cops would like talk to like the kids and just be like oh um this is what you should do to like if a cop approaches you these are your lo- these are your rights like or there's that stuff that'll fix like a community i bet you and i wasn't there so i'm, I'm gonna ask right what did it seem like they were talking to the kids and teaching them things about the real world and doing things that teachers do? No, what they were trying to do was what cops were, were contracted within schools to do was to talk about um, stuff that other organizations easily could have done, like um, mental health awareness. Like there was an odd, cop presentation for mental health awareness there was um which nobody paid attention to because they were police it's not like they came out of uniform that's the first thing that's the first thing why do you need a gun in a school that's the point and then and then they talk about um about sexual predators and like just they give like a whole uh (laughs) conversation there's organizations in the city that can do that. Yeah, no, it doesn't seem productive. And it's almost like because of the criminalization of black 
people. Anyone can go into a principal's office and say, this black kid did that to me. And boom, police are getting called. And the problem with our justice system today is if you are a black man and a white woman or a white man goes into the police station right now and says you threatened them, you're getting arrested. What rather than this uh, practice of policing in schools, um, and it may this is a, a broader uh, question for for both school boards. Like, what should we be doing? You're, you're, the, the three of you are, are students, either graduating or freshly out of the school system. Um, I'm going to put it to you, where where are we failing and what what should be done in a perfect world? I got you're, it. You're, get, you're, you're given, you're given the, the, the reins to the system. What what should be done to fix the, these problems? Matt, Matt oh. let's go first, please. So I went I went to school at St. Joan of Arc. We, we uh, spent $5 million on a football field. And in a few years, we won a championship. So obviously, when you invest into these things, you get good results. So what we need scholarships for black students because there's not enough and not just yep. sports-based. I mean, like education-based because I know I could have gotten some type of education scholarship, but it wasn't offered to me. Um, we, they, need, they need to be treated like humans. Like I, I don't want rate, like a racist situation happening and a white teacher uh, mediating it. That doesn't make sense to me. That makes no sense to me because, because that teacher has no idea, doesn't even know where to start. Doesn't even know where to start. I'm getting paid to teach. I don't want to do this. So I'm just going to push it to the side so I can get back to my job. I can't expect them. I can't expect somebody that's not educated on the topic. And, and I can't expect somebody that doesn't even know lived experience. Exactly. That doesn't make sense to me. So for off rip, they need to put money where their mouth is. They need to hire more black teachers and they need to just stop being racist. <laughs> yeah, which is, uh, I just wanted to, uh, and actually, Greg, I just wanted to sort of come back to uh, the the story with Ahona um, Medi. Uh, uh, yeah, Ahona Medi. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to come back to that and um, to to address because it fits in so closely that that basically that what she seemed to be facing was. Uh, an institutional resistance to the an institutional annoyance that she was bringing up things that they didn't want her to bring up. Um, so as that you know, um, you know, she was called aggressive. She was told to be more respectful. These these uh, kind of things. So maybe you could go more into that story, what her experience was, and then what the report uh, that came out last week um, or the week before. Um, actually, actually said, and whether you feel that went far enough. Absolutely. Ahona Medi is a former student trustee at HWDSB at the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board. During her term, Ahona Medi refused to be silenced and continued to bring up student voice as her main priority. What ended up happening because of that was gaslighting, a thousand and one racial comments. Do you know one of the trustees even had the nerve to call, to, or sorry, not call. Um, one of the trustees was one of the trustees while they were at this Christmas dinner 
knowing Ahona identified as Muslim, wanted to call her out on her Christmas sweater, right? A thousand and one microaggressions that Ahona had to go through just to get the voices heard. Past those microaggressions, there was people conspiring against her and then trying to cover their own tracks. Like in the report, um, there was recently a report done in regards to all of the things that were alleged, but that are Ahona's truths to, to actually witnessing happening. Um, trustee one was Alex Johnstone, trustee two was Becky Buck, trustee three was Kathy Archer, and trustee four was Carol Pakin Miller. We had people turning the board table into oppression Olympics, bringing up uh, anti-Semitism, um, weight issues in regards to anti-Black racism, saying that those issues are not as um, discussed as anti-Black racism, which is understandable. Those are very concerning issues, yes. But we're not sitting here just trying to fight for Black people. We don't want we don't want racial equality just for black people. We want racial equality for everybody because that's the only way our system will be just. Right? During yeah, the, I, mean, I read the report last week, and yeah, that the what you're describing is that um, one trustee in particular just uh, repeatedly, um, in essence, saying that the, the the black issues were getting too much attention, and that you know, well, there are other issues that, that need to be looked at, and it's like, like you say, it's not oppression Olympics, it's not a competition. <laughs> uh, this was, I believe, a specifically a meeting uh, and a committee to address black issues, not yep. other issues that that are out there in society, um, and really just tone deaf. And I mean, it, it speaks to a theme that, that Joel and I have been sort of noticing over recent months of just, and unfortunately, elected trustees do not always, um, doesn't always attract the best uh, candidates. You know, these are elected positions and um, well, there's all kinds of reasons why people, people run for those positions, but uh, often it's not a lot to do with schooling, you know. Um, and then for those people not to, when, when the report came back, which is very damning, uh, to vote to exonerate themselves in essence or to, to accept the, the terms of the report but to do nothing about it, um, it, it seems uh, deeply, deeply wrong as far as I can see. Um, uh, where do we go from here, do you think? I mean, um, and I actually also wanted to, obviously, we've talked a lot about teachers and trustees and, and the institutions. What was your experience um, from the people you went to school with? Um, was racism from, from other students just like endemic? Because I was thinking back to my own childhood. I grew up in a, in a town in England that was highly multiracial. Um, and I have to say, uh, it was looking back on it. I, as a child, I just thought it was the way the world was. Looking back on it, it was just appalling, <laughs> the stuff that went on uh, and the things that were said. And is that your experience as well? Or, or did you find the students are slightly better than the staff? Or, or what did you feel? The life of Black people is constantly faced with racism. You end up having to learn about it as a Black child at the age of five when you get sent to school. 
Abyssola, is that your experience as well? Oh, honestly, like as Greg said, you know racism the moment you get to school. I um, like when I moved to I moved to Canada when I was young, and when I was in Toronto at first, like you know, it was a little bit more diverse than like York region. So like there was racism, but it wasn't as blatant. So when I moved into the York Catholic board. It was like racism firsthand, racism, colorism. It was just layers and layers of it. Like my high school was, I don't know, Malik, our high school was not diverse in any way. So there was a lot of, yeah, there was, it's like this too many memories, too many people wanting to say the N word, too many people constantly talking about black girl's hair. It was just that nonstop, like literally violence, like going to high school is literally, it can be very traumatizing and like going to school back then. Yeah. And it's still going on because I have siblings on the board and it's the same cycle, right? So it's racism, it's it's an institution, right? I want to ask something and and it it might be touchy, but I think there are are a lot of our listeners who are not sharing your experience. And I think I want to get them inside your heads if it's all right what 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 does that do to you psychologically going into school day in day out and knowing like you wake up in the morning you brush your teeth comb your hair put on your 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 clothes eat your breakfast you're on the bus or you're walking to school and that's you're not thinking of your math test you're not thinking about your your homework assignment you're not thinking about Mm -hmm. the football game can you, I, I've never experienced this and I'm asking and I'm asking you, and if I'm, if I'm crossing the line here, let me know. And no, I'll, you're good. So I, I'd I, I, say, I want, tell us what the experience is like, please. So I'd say my, all right. So it, for me, it, it changed as I got older, but my first racist experience was, must've been like in grade three or four. I had a teacher, just a quick story. He'd pretty much make me last for everything, right? He'd go in alphabetical order, then switch it. And then make sure I'm last, even though my name's in the middle, but whatever. Um, so I remember I, I talked about it and then he wrote a long letter to my mom and then my mom broke down what was happening and I understood. And then I just knew that like, I'm like, yo, I kind of like this teacher to begin with, first of all. So I'm just like, yo, the white people that I think are nice are thinking bad things about me. And I've always been an aware kid. Like I knew I was a kid. Like, you know, I would play the kid game, you know, like I'd be like, oh, I'm just a kid. You can't do that. You know what I mean? I'm just like, yo, I'm just a kid. Like I thought as I got older in high school, it was more so like, I'm gonna fight anybody that <laughs> that says anything. Like I'm just, that's that's what I was, that's the type of time I was on. And I never, not never, very rarely would a white kid ever say anything to me, but it was being said to a lot of black kids. And um. I just know that like the students would say things microaggressive, like um, like the little jokes, like they're black jokes or whatever they can think of. And then when you confront them, they hit you with the gaslight, like, yo, we're friends. I thought it was just, so now as a kid, I have this perspective of white people because every majority of the, cause I did have, don't get me wrong. I had white friends that are very understanding of blackness would actually get mad if anything racist would happen, like just as mad as me. So don't get me twisted, but majority, and I'm talking 98% of the white people that I knew in school were were just so sometimes-ish with black people. It was like, 
they will switch on you on the drop of a hat. Like I, like all, all the, the childhood um, rules that we had between each other and friends, like for instance, like um, uniform. I remember a kid getting in trouble for uniform and there was multiple other kids out of uniform. And instead of saying, yo, the whole class is out of uniform too. He said, Malik is Malik is out of uniform too. Like, I'm just like, and, and then the whole thing twisted on me and I was the only one that got suspended that day. It was actually crazy to me, but, I, but like, yeah, these are the type of things. Cause I have to watch what I do 10 times harder than anybody else. And I know they can, they, others can attest uh, to that. And, and that kind of day-to-day routine racism from students is the most important question I have because I, I'll tell you afterwards what my experience was when I was growing up. That everyday um, uh, racism, do the teachers call that out? Um, or does that, do they that. see it happening and they just let it go? They don't even realize it. And that's the issue. Because that's there's how they no, act too. There's no... Um, so I, I feel like in order to talk about the students, we also have to talk about the generation before them maybe two generations before them mm-hmm. black people the criminalization in the minds of the generality or of the generation before them the criminalization of black people is in all honesty to think of any black person as a thug or a gangster or a thief and un- and and it shows in these students the people who are blatantly racist or 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 will will call you the n-word to your face those people are the good ones and it's sad to say it's sad to say that but those people are the good ones because they'll do it to your face I, there are people who live constantly knowing that they're racist constantly um with with racial um, racial ide- racist ideologies and never care to challenge them and that's the biggest issue and, and it, it yeah I just want it's literally last year I, I for reasons I, I kind of made a reacquaintance of a, of a, of a someone from school who happens to be black and I had a recollection of her calling me out on racism when I was about 14. Um, so it kind of reawakened the whole thing in my mind. And it was like, God, we were, all of us were just so bad. And I'm so ashamed of it now. It's just truly, truly ashamed. But then I thought, you know, we were kids. We were not subtle, um, you know, and you could get away with saying a lot more in those days than you probably can now. Um, we, it, every day, constantly, uh, just the most vicious things said to anybody who looked different, right? Um, and I thought, I don't recall a single teacher ever saying, oh, they must have seen it because we're like saying, we're not subtle. We're kids are kids, are kids right? They, they kind of can't control themselves that well yet. And not once do I ever recall anybody ever saying, you know, don't behave like that. That's appalling, you know. Um, uh, and that kind of maybe is the way that it, that it's, twigged with me just how bad things were that I thought well kids are kids right and kids are vile <laughs> or very often can be vile um 
But then it's like, oh, wow, the whole officialdom had no interest in doing anything about that, in, in making it better or challenging it. or um, And like, I mean, what, what you're describing is that kind of education of another generation of people who cannot get along because they've been to school together and they treated each other. Well, no, they didn't treat each other like shit. The white kids treated the non-white kids like shit. Uh, and it's just a tragedy, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's crazy to me. I think that... um that like teaches a subconscious lesson to everybody there it teaches the black kids that their issues are not important okay because we will talk about your uniform we'll talk about you missing your homework but when a white kid calls you a word that that is backed by 500 years of slavery millions and millions of deaths and decades and decades and decades of oppression that's fine but you need your homework done and when the kids are saying these racist things or even the kids that are just bystanding the white kids bystanding around during the racist thing they are now learning that okay racism isn't that big of a deal because the teacher gets mad at this and doesn't get mad at this and the kids doing the racism they now know that my power is in the bystanders not the racists because the 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 racists are the one that are powered by the bystanders that say nothing so this is, you, you guys are really just teaching each other and we're, we're teaching, teaching us. And it's just this crazy um, culture. culture. That's the word. You know what I'm saying? Like, it seems that the white teachers didn't seem to call out anti-Black or any type of racism mm-hmm. when it was okay. coming from white students. So mm-hmm. I'm pretty much trying to say how that builds a culture of racism. Let's the Black kids mm-hmm. know that racism is not a big deal or their racism against them isn't a big deal. And white kids know that racism is allowed on their part. And um, it I, builds a culture. This this past year, um, and I touched upon this uh, at the start of, uh, of this uh, conversation with Black Lives Matter became the forefront in the media. Everybody started looking at, in America, police brutality against black uh, people. And it was very easy. I think it was very easy to get angry when you see images of George Floyd getting his neck crushed by a white police officer or Eric Garner or Trayvon Martin, all those images. It's, it's easy to, as an outsider, to look at it and to get angry about it. It, it was very blatant. But then we're told here in Canada, we have a racism issue and immediately white Canadians get their backs up. It's like, no, we don't. We're, 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 we're the country that all the slaves came to um in the underground railroad and I, like that's that's the the story that we're told in canadian history classes and uh, when I, I find that what you're telling what the stories that you're ch- ch- sharing with me is that i i, I kind of get it now that our, our racism is polite it's that bystander racism right like i don't i don't want to i don't want to rock the boat i don't want to cause a fight i don't want to cause a scene i'm i'm you know what he he was right. He was he was racism with his please and thank yous, kind of kind of. I, I would I would challenge mentality. that statement also because okay. I would say that it, it it is relatively as bad as it is in America. I would just say we have such a smaller black population that it's that it that it can be muffled by white people saying that Canada's not that bad because black America is a very black dense right. country, right. and in Canada there's a lot of police brutality. As a matter of fact, my friend group, I'm pretty sure all of us have ex- all of us have experienced police brutality in different ways okay so, so that's that's I, i'll be honest as a white canadian when i hear when i first heard stories of what you're sharing with me the the three uh-huh. of you're sharing um 
I, I was like, that doesn't sound like my Canada. That 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 that's that. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I said that's not what I that's not what I was told in the in the education system growing up here. My story that I heard was that black people came through the Underground Railroad, they crossed Lake Ontario, and they were freed here in York or here in in Oakville, and everything was fine. And that, that they didn't tell you about the slavery before, eh? That's crazy. I do you want do you want to know when I actually found out that slaves existed in Canada? Mm-hmm. Two years ago. What? <laughs> Two years ago. I did not know that that ex- I, that's but that when I found that out, like my mind literally just blew because like that's not what I was taught. That's not the story I was told in my Canadian history classes. The classes that you kids were going through, that was not told to me. I had to find out through. Uh, another podcast and they shared the story and I was like, that doesn't sound right. And I looked up like, I was like, holy shit, it's true. And like, why wasn't this part of the curriculum added into like, why, why wasn't I told this? Why'd I have to wait till I was, you know, two years ago when I found this out? I don't I, I, Like, sorry. I, I, my, my point is that Go ahead. racism is a, is, is a blight on, society there's there's no it's just it needs to go away there's no justification for it and i view our school system as the front lines of it um this is me editorializing like we learn everything in our education we learn how to read write how to subtract you also learn how to interact with each other we learn we learn how to solve our problems we learn how to 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 have these polite debates about tough issues and i find like we're, we're cheating our generate our future generations out of the necessary skills to get along with each other uh, in a productive way. Um, and I, I, I mean, it's something like this is stuff that I, I myself have to teach myself now. And it's, and it's, I, I've, I've learned that I have massive blind spots on this. I, and I'll admit that. Um, I'm, I'm wondering like as kid as kids yourselves, like what, what would you like to see the system change into that we can really tackle these issues and maybe the next generation, your, may your kids may finally have a chance at being more, more harmonious uh, Canadian society. So I think there's a lot, there's a lot like part of it. And I don't, I don't mean to be rude, but I think part of it is to say like everything that had happened with George Floyd, the fact that, George Floyd became such a monument and you know at the end of the day rest in peace George Floyd but for George Floyd's death to finally be the spark of this realizations of racial inequities is privilege and I 100% the privilege Back. to not really understand or realize that this was here before or or the privilege to not have to go through this day in and day out realizing that racism and cops are the forefront like cops cops tell you what it is and you have to conform to it or they're arresting you like when was that ever a reasonable mindset to have and then and then now we've also got on the next side the same way black people or the same way we've got white racist people who 
are polite and nice about it, that also turns into and breeds a culture of aggression. Because afterwards, uh, not even breeds a culture. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't even breed a culture. But what ends up happening is Black people get labeled as aggressive or Black people get labeled as irate or crazy or something like that because someone is sitting there pushing their microaggressions constantly or their racist statements constantly, refusing to challenge their own racist ideals. And then you have a Black man on the side or a Black woman or a Black whoever just trying to explain how they feel and it's continuously told that it's not it, no racism's not that bad in Canada. Racism's not that that's not really racist or oh for it to be racist it has to be this. When in reality these are all coming from people who have no real lived experience on racism. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I honestly I I think even it, it really baffles and really hurts to know that you know we. <laughs> It's from George Floyd situation where people started realizing that black people exist. And on top of that, it's all performative. So we have people rushing to say, hey, I support you. I'm listening. I'm here for you. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. But your actions do not like your words do not match your actions. Like it, Uh it, it takes a lot of privilege for folks to be able to say, you know. Oh, like, I'm so sorry. I don't know what you're going through but I'm here for you. You're not here for me. Like we, we have boards, we have teachers, we have those people saying these things to black students. We have it as a universal Canadian society, but like who's getting promoted? Who's getting opportunities? Who's going to the mall or walking around and is getting carded? So we really have to understand that even like we're talking about things in school. I, I, I was going to say this when you asked the question about how it made like students feel walking into a school and knowing that you're going to experience racism. It's just that idea of like, it, it hurts your mental health. It hurts your physical being. You feel sick. There's bullying, there's racial bullying, and there's different stuff, right? So it's, it's just all like performative. And on top of that, it's just, I, I always say this, racialized, marginalized, and oppressed communities should not have to teach privileged communities about issues of oppression google is free like we tell the board we tell different people that hey you know that's right ra- that's what you're saying is racist I, you shouldn't have to justify like someone getting killed and being publicly filmed and put on television for people to finally realize that oh my goodness racism exists and it's still like performative like it, it's still not I, it's not connecting Another thing that speaks to the performative piece is like after George Floyd died, um, the big trend Blackout Tuesday, where everyone was posting black squares on Instagram. Right. Thank you. You guys showed your support for a day. You know what I'm saying? Like, how does that help anything? Where what real push forward does it does it help uplift any black communities like you would be better to go find a black owned business and buy something from them to really post something on, on Instagram or, or, or Twitter, even signing a petition does something, but a black square on Instagram is only you showing. Yeah. 
We're here for the change. We're here for the change. We're with you. And what really happens is, yeah, it all becomes one big performative task now where people are like, yeah, Black Lives Matter is the trend. I'm going to I'm going to be there and I'm going to help them. And then these same people trying to to hop on that trend, not really because they actually care about racial equality, but because they understand that this is what's in right now is 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 what turns up diluting the message and making people not really understand the real struggle behind doing the work and fighting for the liberation of black people. Um, I, I see that we're coming up on our, our five minute left warning. So I, I, I'm not going to take up any more time. I'm going to, I want to leave it to one of you, uh, you three to have the final, final word here. I just wanted to just add to um, like what, what, what your question was, what do we need? So I would say what we need is accountability and action. And I feel like white people need to stop hiding behind the mask of niceness. Um, because first of all, let's start with accountability. Everybody's acting like nothing's happening or what they do isn't racist. I've never used the N-word, so therefore I'm not racist. Well, like you've probably done something racist. You need to be accountable and then you need action. Whenever you see racism, you need to shut that down. Like it's happening to you. Like literally, like if I, I'm not, I'm not a part of the LGBT community, but if I heard somebody use the F-word in that way, I'd be pretty upset. I don't understand why that doesn't translate to people of color, but that, but there's some learning that needs to be done there. And that the, the shield of niceness, that right there is killing us. You guys think, or not you guys, but there's white people that think um, since they're so nice, they are not a part of the problem. Oh, I treat black people nice. I give them the smile in the street. That's not it. Cause some of the most racist people have done the worst things to me. And I thought they were the nicest people. So there's just so much work that needs to be done. And like, like you guys said earlier, it starts in this classrooms because it's, it's easier to get a, a four-year-old to stop doing racist things than it is a 40. And I understand that. But the thing is, is that the four, the racist 40-year-olds are running the school system. So I don't know what to, t- I don't know. Like it's literally, we are in handcuffs right now and we just need the right people to start listening. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media, Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. This is Candace Sampson, the voice behind What She Said. 
My show is your destination for stories that not only entertain, but also educate and empower. Every week, I spotlight strong female voices from across Canada, women who are changing the narrative and driving change. Don't miss out on these inspiring episodes. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon Music, or head over to whatshesaidtalk.com. What She Said can also be heard on blasttheradio.com, Mondays at 5 p.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. That's blasttheradio.com. It's time to dive into the stories that truly matter.